0: Let me invite you to remain standing as we honor the reading of God's Word. We are continuing our series on the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading chapter 9, which is verses 1 through 28. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. This week we will really be touching on what worship looks like for God's people in this new covenant. It is 28 verses. So I know that's a long time to stand, and I understand if you can't stand the whole time, but really this whole uh, chapter is one unit that just really uh, would not benefit from being cut up. So let's work together to attend to the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 9, 1-28 through Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, and the table, and the bread of the presence... which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, Therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're not Hebrews. We're not those raised in the Jewish tradition. And so it may be tempting for us to say, man, that is a lot of detail. Why can't we chew and cut this into a smaller section and chew on that? And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's partly why we're using Sunday school each week after the sermon to chew it more in depth on each passage. But all the details that tend to trip us up are really a singular case for those listening to the author of Hebrews speak to them about Jesus. And so I want us to uh, consider this passage together so that the message to God's people in chapter 9 meant for them and also for us would be better heard. So would you pray just that as we take so many verses together that God would bless our understanding of it. Gracious God and Father, we come indeed to hear your word and we know that we might hear it with our ears, but it is only by your Spirit's help, by you blessing us, that it can penetrate into the internal places where we make choices about what's right and wrong, where our motivations lie where we make decisions so please lord pierce us and would your word be planted and would it produce fruit of righteousness of service and obedience for you in jesus name amen some people say that you have never had an apple cider donut unless you've had it from the chichester country store That's why you have to come to Men's Breakfast, because we always have Chichester Country Store Donuts. Others will say, well, you've never had real maple syrup unless you've had it still warm from the evaporator outside. You've never really lived until you've jumped out of an airplane. You've never really driven until you've driven a BMW, for it is the ultimate driving machine, as they claim. Those statements may seem a little off-putting depending on your perspective. Because what they can suggest is that if you don't have the opportunity to go to the Chichester Country Store, if you don't have the financial means to drive a BMW or the like, then you are missing out on an opportunity for a truest form of some encounter, whether it's maple syrup whether it's excitement, whether it's driving, whether it's something else. But positively, these statements reflect that when there is something of value, when there is something of worth, when we enjoy something, there is a desire to go deeper and further in. To not just experience in part, to not just eat a croissant, but to eat a croissant in front of the Eiffel Tower to have the fullest, to have the deepest, to have the richest experience possible. And even if we aren't seeking for the truest experience of camping or cheesecake or driving, we want our lives, we do want our experiences, we want what our, we spend our time and our effort and our energy doing to be worthwhile, don't we? We want it to matter. We want to know that all that hard work That all that energy, those sleepless nights, are worthwhile. This reflects our nature as those who are made for worship. We are made to recognize what is worthwhile, what is true, what's good, what's beautiful. And not only to recognize it, not only to see something, but to have an encounter with it to enjoy it, and then to respond with an expression of that joy that not only involves us, but invites others into that similar experience. As Christians, we would say that that ultimate object of worth and value is God. Because every good thing, whether it's the beauty of creation, whether it's the information we learn as we study, Whether it's relationships with people made in his image, all these things come from him. We were made for him, and we live in a world that reflects his glory. So he would be the truest object of our worship. How do we know? How do we see? How do we experience and encounter him truly, though? Do we worship God by knowing more facts about him? by saying, well, I know what the lampstand is, and I know what that lampstand would have looked like, and I know about the showbread, and I know what those things mean. Do we have a truer encounter with God when we are out in the wilderness praying on the top of a mountain at sunrise? Is the only way to encounter God, to be in this space, in this church, in the right denomination, with the right pastor, with the right people, is that the way to truly know God? See the Hebrews are wrestling with this question They have an inheritance Of knowledge of God Who made himself known to Abraham They have A history of God Working among his descendants In covenant relationship They have a place They have the temple Which came to replace this tabernacle Described in our passage And it was there in Jerusalem And the people went and they tasted And they touched and they saw and they smelled In the place of worship But now this Jesus has come along. This Jesus who has not only come with other teaching, but he has died. And says, I have something better to offer. He is claiming to have ushered in a new covenant. Something that replaces, because it's superior to the old, and they want to know, really, can I know God better in Jesus? Can I really encounter who God is and be changed by that? through this Jesus who died who is not even a priest down in the temple in Jerusalem? The preacher answers that question by in this passage contrasting the old covenant where the worship is marked by blood the blood of heifers the blood of goats and bulls with worship in the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. We're going to look at answering this question well how do we encounter god by contrasting how the old testament the old covenant people encountered god in their worship how jesus offers an encounter with god and then we're going to ask ourselves what does that mean how does that shape us as worshipers today so if you lived under the old covenant how did you encounter god well the first few verses of chapter 9 especially verses 1 through 10 they describe the primary place to encounter God was at the tabernacle this is where sacrifices were offered it gives us a description remember the tabernacle is this tent with primarily two rooms, the holy place where only the priest could go and then the holy of holies where only the high priest could go once a year where the ark of the covenant stood that was where Old Testament people had the truest encounter with God. God's glory was said to sit there on top of the mercy seat between the cherubim. After God made his covenant promises to the people of Exodus, he gave them the laws, he gave them instructions for this tabernacle, this was the place where he was to dwell, and so Israel would stand out among all the nations as a group of people who had God, not in some idols, not somewhere far and distant, but present with them. And so they had these rituals, they had these architectures for that purpose. And you can read more about the specific rules and architecture in Exodus 25 and 37. The author of Hebrews, he mentions some details, but his point is not, let's get into all those details. He says, we can't speak in detail now. But he wants to evoke for them what's familiar. The taste and the sounds and the sights that they knew from worship and it was a wonderful thing I want want to be very clear we are going to really say some things that speak critically of worship under the old covenant and we are not meant to be critical because God spoke ill of it remember all of this comes from God it was something wonderful it was a means to have God present and to serve him and maintain that presence And so perhaps we can understand that for those yearning to worship him, especially in difficult times, those who are receiving this letter want to know if they experience God best, not by just praying to this Jesus guy, but by going back to the temple and offering those sacrifices. Yet when we read verses 1 to 10... And it explains how people encountered God under the Old Covenant. What we find is really an impoverished, a limited encounter. It's a true encounter. It is the true God who has given them these means, but it is not a full encounter. On one hand, it's location-specific, right? God's presence was at the tabernacle. And it was in the Holy of Holies in one place. The people could pray at home. They could sing psalms at home. They could be with their families and have devotions, but the place where God truly dwelt as they understood it, the place to truly encounter God was to go to Jerusalem and go to the temple after the tabernacle was made permanent. But the worship was also indirect. See, to have an encounter with God as he existed was not something every Israelite could do. They couldn't all come into the presence of God on the Ark of the Covenant. No, it says that all the priests, but only priests, could go into the holy place. So regular Israelite couldn't go into the holy place. And then only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. He was a representative to deal with their sins. He carried their presence with him, but the people themselves were not having that direct encounter it was also infrequent it says and he went in the high priest went in only once a year only once a year on the day of atonement did he go into the place where God's glory was said to dwell and when he did so he did so exposed we're told that what he had to do is through the offering of blood he went in there not without taking blood he had to offer it for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. He would sacrifice a bull for his own sins and then he would sacrifice a goat for the unintentional sins so that he would not carry any pollution of sin and uncleanliness with him into the Holy of Holies. He was exposed, he was in danger every time he went into the presence of God. These encounters with God also had an expiration date every year these sins of the people had to be dealt with again and yeah that, that bull or that goat was allowed to suffice for a year but every year on Yom Kippur the day of atonement a new sacrifice had to be offered because the old one was no longer good and then perhaps what is most insufficient is what we see in verse 9 that is incomplete it said, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. That is, if you polluted yourself by touching a dead body, if you did something else that made you unclean, through these rituals you could deal with that uncleanliness. But could the blood of a goat, could the blood of a bull truly cleanse the inner place as it regards your standing before God? Could the death of a goat allow you to stand before the holy God and say, I can be in your presence? And the answer is no. This is not to condemn the old covenant form of worship, but to point to its purpose. We read that the Holy Spirit, which gave the design of the tabernacle to Moses and for the people, was to say, I am a God who cannot be pursued, whose presence you cannot come into lightly. Here is a means, and yet by, through this means of the tabernacle, it was clear that the people were not ex- yet experiencing the fullness of an encounter with God. They are shadows and they are symbols and they are true shadows and true symbols, but they are not the thing that they symbolize. Sometimes we are content with the sign instead of the thing signified. And in our desire to experience, to encounter, we can confuse rituals and things and patterns as an encounter with God. We can say God is full of majesty and creation is full of majesty, and it points to the majesty of God, and we can confuse communing with nature as sufficient to knowing God. We can have times of quiet time and study of God's word, And we can have encounters with God through studying his word. But is our personal quiet time the fullness of God? Is having a full family and good relationships with people that he gives us, is that the fullness of knowing God? Or do those people just bear an image of God? And are we sufficient to say we know God if we just know other people well? If the audience of the letter is supposed to not cling to the shadows, then our warning is to not create limits for ourselves or to cling to shadows. It's a temptation for us. You know, in, not to, to heap upon Roman Catholics, because really everyone was Roman Catholic until the Protestant Reformation, but they built cathedrals because they wanted to point to the glory of God. They guarded communion very strictly because they knew it was to point to what Jesus did for us. They had a priestly garb for the ministers because they wanted to set them apart for the special purposes that they had. But over time, what became the thing that was important was the beauty of the architecture. By not letting anyone have communion, let alone what it represented. By holding the priests apart see it's not a catholic problem it's a human problem a human problem because we want to stop short instead of going deeper in whether it's the ways that we worship whether it's being content with finding our glory through our work or through our family or through nature all of these things we experience only sometimes we never have them all the time and so they can never really be avenues and they can never satisfy. They are not the destination. They are signs along the way. And this is the kindness of God in that he knows our tendency to hold on to shadows instead of the real thing that when Jesus comes, he causes the old way of worship to pass away. So that the sacrifices and the rituals and the things eaten and not eaten would not be the things that God's people clung to, but God himself. He wants under Christ to offer us more. Because of the pandemic, I have not been able to enjoy working in a coffee shop. It's just something instilled in me, like many pastors, at least once, a, one day a week, to just be around other people, to read and study in a coffee shop, and that's not been available to me. A couple weeks ago, I was really just desiring it and yearning for it, and I just wanted a cup of coffee. And I you know, was used to going to Starbucks. There's a coffee shop nearby. There's coffee. I can sit and study. Well, it's not available. It's not open. And then, after I did a search, I found another coffee shop in Hooksit. I saw that they were open. Well, that's great. I'm looking to be able to sit and study. But the thing about this coffee shop is, not only could I sit and study, but unlike Starbucks, where you can't see what they're doing because all you can see is the back. You can see the full espresso machine. And you can see the drip coffee bar. And you can see the siphon. See, this coffee shop isn't just about a place where you can get the maximum amount of caffeine in the quickest way possible. It's a place where you can have the full coffee experience. Talk to the person that prepares it, who loves coffee, knows about coffee, who wants your opinion on the pastries that he's serving in the restaurant being cut off from starbucks has led me to a far better coffee experience being cut off from the old covenant way of worship opens god's people up for a better way of worship through the blood of christ how is it better we're told jesus is the high priest as we've read before he's introduced last week when we read hebrews chapter 8 that he ministers in the heavenly perfect tent and in Christ we have access to the real dwelling of God, which is not a house made by human hands, because God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of rest? Can we really contain God in a church, let alone a temple? Now, worship through Christ reforms worship. We are told that this is until the time of reformation that is rebuilding, reconstruction of what worship is really meant to be. And so as opposed to worship and encountering of God being indirect, it now becomes direct in Christ. Yes, Jesus is still our representative before God. Yes, he still has a priestly function. But here's the difference between the high priest of the old covenant and the high priest of the new covenant. The high priest of the old covenant was a man. The high priest of the new covenant is God become man. We have direct encounter with God because we have a direct encounter with the Son of God in Jesus. Our worship under the new covenant through the blood of Jesus is constant instead of infrequent. In verse 12 it says this, He entered once for all into the holy place. not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but the means of his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. He entered once. It is constant. This is not an iterative thing where it has to happen every year. But because Jesus is now, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in the heavenly dwelling place, we have constant access to God in him. And as we enter into the access of God... Jesus when we pray when we worship whether gathered together or on our own we don't have to live in the same fear that the high priests and the priests and the people see the question always was did they go through the rituals correctly did they offer an unblemished bull and a perfect sacrificial goat would God accept those sacrifices? Would the high priest come back out of the Holy of Holies? Or would they find him dead because he had gone so far as to pollute God's place? We have secured an eternal redemption. Because as verse 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We don't have to ask, is our worship acceptable? Am I wearing the right clothes? Am I clean enough? Because if we have accepted Christ, we know what our standing is before God. His blood offered on our behalf makes us fully acceptable to come into the presence of the Holy God and that is an eternal offer it is lasting and enduring verse 25 says nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself it is done It is accomplished. This is why we can worship God in beautiful buildings, and we can worship God in family devotions in the living room, and we can feel God's presence when we stand in the awe of his creation. We can worship him when we have failed to obey. This is why a typing school that became a daycare can be a place now for us to worship. Because we don't need the blood of bulls and goats to make a place holy, but the presence of Christ by his Spirit makes any place holy to worship and encounter God. This is why a woman wearing a sari in India, a man in a tweed suit in London, a family in flannel in New Hampshire can all be appropriate to come before God. Because our standing before God is in Christ. We can come into the presence of God, know him as he is described in his word, and be changed by an encounter with his spirit, because the spirit applies the work of Christ. This is what covenant worship under the blood of Jesus looks like. How does that really shape though you and me? What kind of worshiper does that make us? First of all, it makes us worshipers as recipients of promise. We aren't able to worship God because we've done the right thing and we deserve it. No, we are able to worship God because he gives us that benefit. In explaining Jesus' death and how it is connected to the new covenant, the author of the book of Hebrews plays on one of the, the definitions of the word covenant, which is testament, as in last will and testament. And he says, well, when you have a last will and testament, it doesn't go into effect until the person dies, right? So on one hand, he is explaining how the Old Testament people can still be saved by the blood of Jesus because all that is promised in the Old Testament comes to fulfillment when Jesus dies. But now that Jesus has died, we have the full benefit of all that is ours. So this is the difference. For the Old Testament people of God, they can't go and say, God, we demand all of your blessings and promises. It would be like us going to the bank and saying, I want a third of my parents' money. Here's the will. And they would say, well, are your parents dead yet? If the answer is no, then that, that promise, that money, isn't yours. But because Jesus has passed away, because he has died only to rise again, we have access to all of his riches in glory, all the things that God has promised. We are able to worship God, not because we deserve Not because we're trying to earn God's good things, but because Jesus has given us an inheritance as worshipers. We also worship God as a blessed people, as a rich people. Our service of God in our worship, whether it's our Sunday morning worship, whether it's our private devotions, whether it's prayer, it's not to get God's riches, but it's as the recipients of God's riches. We're not trying to get to God by trying to live in a certain way. We live as those who have already met God in Christ, who changes the way that we live. It also means that we are worshipers who are sanctified. That means we are set apart. As he explains Jesus' work in the new covenant, he connects the work of Jesus' death on the cross not just to sacrifice for our sins which his blood does so that we can go before God, we can be forgiven, but also to sanctify us, to mark us out as holy. He describes how everything was made holy with blood, and he describes how Moses took the blood of the covenant and he sprinkled it upon the book of the covenant upon the people when God had instituted the covenant. God says, you are my covenant people, you are set apart, and then the blood marks them off as his people. By the way, that's why Presbyterians can do baptism not just by dunking but by sprinkling because if we can be cleansed by the sprinkling of blood then how much more so can the sign of the covenant show our sanctification by the blood of Christ? But the point of the sprinkling is to say you are marked off as mine. We have been set apart as those who have encountered God in Christ. We are not trying To earn our way in, we are already in. And so as those who are holy and have encountered God in Christ, we are to be enthusiasts. So just as that maple syrup loving person wants to bring you to their backyard evaporator, we, as those set apart, as distinct as God's people, want to bring others to enjoy what we enjoy, having been marked off as His. We are those who have received the blessings. We are those that have been marked off as holy. And lastly, we are those who are integrated in our worship. That is, our worship is both external and internal. Under the old covenant, the forms of worship were primarily external. And they could not cleanse. And the problem was not that there was no internal worship, but that people were content with the external forms. The new Covenant offers cleansing for the conscience of the inner person. But the point is not to pit the inner man against the outer man, the soul against the body. No, in Christ we are to see all that we are as for the purpose of worshiping God. There are some recent trends, especially among young Christians, to move towards Anglicanism or Roman Catholicism, or even if they're staying within their same denominations to have more uh, sights and more smells, to have more liturgy to have more tangible expressions of worship and I think one of the reasons that that is, is because over time, as we have taken seriously the internal cleansing of Christ, and we think of worship as worshipping him with our hearts and our souls, we have forgotten that we are meant to worship him with all of our being And so if we don't see our work as an opportunity to worship God in the world that he has created, if we don't see the raising of our children as an opportunity to worship him when we change diapers and instruct them in his ways, when we don't see our hobbies as ways to enjoy God's creation, if we don't see all of life as an opportunity to worship body and soul, then we will feel as if we are only worshiping in our mind, and then we're going to want to reach for those rituals this is not to say that the lighting of candles or robes or any of those things are necessarily wrong but sometimes we reach for those things because we're not already worshiping God as integrated beings, body, soul, mind soul and spirit to God brothers and sisters if you are a good Muslim you can only read the Quran if you know Arabic If you grow up in India, you can only reach nirvana if you find enlightenment. If you live in LA, you can only have a spiritual experience of worship if you can afford a Peloton. It's the same thing. We are used to saying, you can only worship and encounter if you have enough money, if you have enough time, if you have enough effort, if you have enough strength, if you have enough education. Only then can you encounter what is truest and best. And for the Hebrews that are saying, well, we're not going to the temple. We're not offering those sacrifices. Can we know God? Can he know us? The author of Hebrews says, if you know Jesus, the answer is yes. And that's all you need. So would we worship Christ, who is God, who gives us access to God, as worshipers now forevermore? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that we would worship you We want to worship you with body, soul, mind, with all of our being. Help us, Lord, to see that we can only do this. We can only be cleansed. We can only be acceptable worshipers, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. We thank you that the blood of Christ sanctifies your presence so that one day we can enter into that holy presence forevermore. Amen.